Welcome to Behind the Bookshelves. My name is Richard Davis, and this Abe Books podcast is dedicated to telling the stories behind books and the people who love them. Today, we're at the ballpark talking about baseball books. Being English, I know very little about this sport. Cricket is my game. However, I've read a couple of W.P. Kinsella books and a biography of Joe DiMaggio, and I know my Yankees from my Mets, but that's about it. I'm joined by bookseller Bobby Plappinger from Ashland in Oregon. Bobby specializes in baseball books, and he's going to share his knowledge with us. Welcome, Bobby. Hi, Richard. It's nice to be here. Thank you so much for joining us. Um, all right. Here we go with some relatively simple questions from me. Um, is it correct to say that baseball book collectors are mostly interested in um, books from the early years of baseball, of the game? Well, books, actual actual artifacts from the early years of the game. You're talking about the mid-19th the mid, uh, century, mid-late 19th century. They are extremely hard. To, they, there are few of them. They are extremely hard to acquire, and they're very expensive when they're acquired. So I would say while most baseball books collectors would love to have one or two of them, um, the interests tend to be more varied, as they do in, 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 in other specialties. You have people who collect books pertaining to a particular player or group of players or teams, uh, all the other uh, minor league baseball, people who specialize in photographic works. Um, there was uh, there have been various lists made over the years of you know the most important or best baseball books. Some people try to focus on collecting the books on those lists, and uh, so I would say there are a lot of people who are interested in books from the early years, but I'm not sure I would say most. At least not in my experience. So we're talking about America's game, the, yeah. the game that captured the heart of a nation. Why yeah. are those early books hard to find then? Most of the books that well, most of the books that were published in the early years of baseball are record books um, and or books that seek to introduce the reader to how to understand and play the game. The record books they tend to be more they tend to be more findable, but they're just they tend to be just list of statistics sometimes sometimes uh, photographs the histories the um, biographies, the accounts of the early years of the game, those really didn't start to be published until the early 20th early mid-20th century. Okay. So the, the, the few books that, that are there, or the few books that mention baseball as a sport, um, um, th- th- there just aren't very many of them. It wasn't that the the game wasn't wasn't the overwhelming popular game that it is then that it is now. Okay. That it, that it was at its height, probably <laughs> so, not as popular now as it once was. Right. So, so what does the, the, the genre cover? I'm thinking biographies, histories, rules, stats. It, it basically any subspecial rules and statistics and record books and instructionals. Um, certainly in the, for the first 50 years, for 75 years, they dominated baseball publishing. Um, there, you know, there'd be a new record book would come out every year, and the record book, the, the books were published by sporting goods manufacturers, namely the Reach Company and the Spalding Company, so they were basically vehicles to advertise their equipment. But they would include lengthy and detailed summaries in text and statistics and photos of the previous year. 
Um, so those were those were very popular. Um, <clears throat> as the game became more developed, you started to get biographies and autobiographies. Then you started to get histories of various teams. Um, and then into the 50s, uh, player, player biographies really, really uh, started to spike, I would say, in the 40s and 50s. Um, so any, any, and then there's books about, as I said, there's books, uh, there's, a, there's a whole, there's a whole divide between the ma Major League Baseball, Major League Professional Baseball, and then Minor League Baseball, which has teams scattered all over the United States and, and in Canada. And many of those teams, you know, the local newspaper guy would write a, would write a history of the St. Catharines, Ontario team, for example. And I think I'm just making that up. So, and so today, those are the books that people are looking for. I would say predominantly people look for, bio, you know, collect biographies, autobiographies, and books about their favorite team or teams in general. Right. Now, do people care about baseball fiction? So that the two big examples I think of are, are The Natural and uh, Shoeless Joe by Kinsella. Um, some people do, not as many as they as used to. Uh, that that's what I would say. It's a, it it has always been a very small subgenre of the baseball book community, and I I think I think as is the case with much of the baseball book collecting community, uh, the people interested in baseball fiction are aging, and there's not a lot of new blood coming in. So the, in, from a collecting standpoint, the people who have been collecting for a while pretty much have everything there is to be had, and there's not as much demand for what used to be the, the driving books um, as there used to be, just because there's, there's fewer people who are looking for them. Uh, the natural, uh, nice natural first in a dust jacket will still bring you a couple hundred bucks, though. Um, Kinsella is not as popular as he once was right now. Uh, so Shoeless Joe, there's a lot of people who were hoping to send their kids through college based on their uh, W.P. Kinsella collection, who I think are a little bit disappointed these days. <laughs> I might be one of them. Oh. So. <laughs> um, but, yeah, I mean, there, there's always been, how do I put this, those of us who love and appreciate baseball fiction are very strong and loud and vocal and hearty, hearty bunch. And and on the few occasions when we're able to get together, we you know make fun of everybody who doesn't care about the stuff we we care about. Right. So even as a a very naive baseball uh, fan, the two big names are Babe Ruth and Joe DiMaggio. Yeah. Out of those two, who's been written about the most? Um, Ruth, by far. Uh, this, I, I thought about this question. For, for one thing, I don't think Joe DiMaggio was a very interesting person. Um, and he certainly was not a very interesting person during his Major League Baseball playing career. Um, for another, Babe Ruth, Babe Ruth's career, Babe Ruth's career in life was over by, by, by the middle of the 20th century. So there's been a lot more time for people to write about him and a lot more stuff for people to discover about him as, 
as our ability to you know as 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 our ability to go back in the past and find new stuff that we just didn't know. So Ruth was Ruth was immensely popular during his career, and probably had more words and more articles and books and magazines and uh, magazine articles written about him while he was alive. Um, and then that's kind of kind of continued ever ever since he ever since he passed away. Um, whereas DiMaggio, um, you know, during his playing career, he had a couple of couple of instructionals, a couple of autobiographies. He was no, he he was very, a very private person post career. Um, so he until very late in life, uh, he never talked to anybody about his life. So he was kind of a not not the greatest subject. So. Babe Ruth, by far. So uh, the better the better has the better volume of literature, the the more books and more better books. And is that um, because uh, Ruth had an impact on the game rather than being exceptional at it? I, I think it's both. I think I think it's his 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 uh, during during uh, let's put it during the myth making part of his of his life and career. It was just how great he was and how he affected the game. Um, the last 20, 30 years, you know, you've seen a lot of analysis. There's a, there's a lot, of, for example, there's a, lot, there's a lot of people who claim that he is, he is at least in part African-American. So there's been a lot of gene, there have been, there have been genealogical studies. There have been, there's been a lot of uh, um, um, personal diaries and notebooks of people who knew him or were related to him that have only come to light in the last 20 years. So we're finding out personal details and, and interrelate uh, the way he related to, to other people in the world that we just didn't have, a, that weren't available earlier. And so now that, that material, too, is fascinating because he's an endlessly fascinating figure, I think. So earlier you mentioned that um, writers document the minor leagues and minor league teams. So I'm wondering, is that the same for the Negro Leagues? Yeah. Um, well, Negro League Baseball, it's really interesting. During the height of Negro League Baseball, when, 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 the, when, when the game was segregated, uh, again, there was very little uh, in book form about the Negro Leagues and the players in the Negro Leagues. The, what, to the extent that there was any, anything written about them, it was almost always uh, you know, newspaper daily journalism. Um, the occasional coverage in the in the black press in a magazine like Ebony or something like that might profile a, a, a baseball star every so often, but really and truly, there was very little book. There was very little in book form written about the Negro League and really about even about black players um, until Robert Peterson came along in 1970 and published only the ball was white, which was the first history of the Negro League. So in the 50 years since only the ball was white, there has been a ton of material published on the Negro Leagues, biographies, autobiographies, um, pictorial works, histories, um, and it runs the gamut from, you know, quick and, quick and paste photo books that, that are put in a bargain bookstore for nine ninety nine for someone to buy at the holidays for someone to real scholarly works about some of the greatest players and and uh, owners and about the, the the way the league functioned and I would say Negro League collecting and is a is a real substantial area of interest in among baseball collectors and among baseball book collectors. 
So we're seeing a bit of historical catch-up, a bit of uh, rebalancing. Uh, ab- absolutely, yeah, a- absolutely. Um, you know, following the, the, the Peterson wrote the history, and then uh, a, a guy named John Hallway published three books over the course of about ten years that were just um, that were oral histories. He went and found all the players, um, and you know, many of them right before they died. But I'd, I'd say he probably has a cup had. Between the three books, there's a couple of hundred um, interviews with with people who actually played in and worked in the Negro League game. So between Hallway's work and, and Peterson's work, that they kind of laid the groundwork, and everyone's kind of take it. It's kind of taken off from there. So we're here talking about books, but there's also the big big area of baseball cards yeah. and baseball card collecting do the two cross over at all are they linked do do people collect the same books and cards well <laughs> i've always taken the position that if you really care about something why wouldn't you why would you why wouldn't you rather have a book with words written by someone who participated in or watched and pictures and photographs that you can keep on a shelf and look at forever, as opposed to you know a three by five inch of cardboard. Uh, unfortunately, my my opinion is not as popular; has proven not to be as popular um, as we've seen. Uh, I am intensely jealous of people who collect baseball cards and people who sell baseball cards, while trying not to let that affect me in my daily life. Um, I would say there are far more people who collect. Far more people who are interested in baseball books who also collect baseball cards than people who collect baseball cards who are interested in baseball books. Uh, are, you, are you jealous because the dealers can carry baseball cards around in a couple of boxes and they've got the whole inventory, whereas you need a library? And back in the days when I would do shows, I would have this partner, and we would come there and we'd bring, you know, we'd bring 30 boxes of books and we'd have a big display case and we'd set up and we'd set up and we'd set up. And you get there like a day in advance. It'd take a whole day to set up the booth and get the books facing all the way. Meanwhile, the guy next to us, he comes in an hour before the show opens, opens up a briefcase, puts a few baseball cards out in the out on the shelf, and you know he goes home with twenty five times more than we <laughs> we came home. He goes home with an empty briefcase. We have you know twenty nine of the thirty boxes still left. We have to repack. So yeah, just a little jealous. I try not to let it, like I said, I try not to let it affect my daily life. All right. I may not have been totally successful with that. <laughs> All right, putting uh, cards aside, what about yes. baseball ephemera? Well, besides cards, I think you, uniforms and, and anything related to, actually related to the actual playing of the game. So people collect uniforms, people collect um, bats, balls, uh, equipment of all sorts. Autographed. It, the, the tr- I'm not sure how this started, but the tradition of of signing a baseball and that signed baseball becoming a, a, a treasured collectible to whoever received it um, is is a long and established tradition of collecting. And people have you know signed baseball. They have you know players signed by every a single ball signed by each player on the team or a ball that's signed by everybody and people collect. Again, Negro League, any, any subsection, Negro League, World Series champions, their favorite teams. Um, and then it goes on from there. I would say it, it is hard to imagine 
uh, a form of collectible that doesn't have a, a baseball example. I, as I'm as I'm sitting here in my living room, I'm looking at I have bookends, a thermos, um, a doll, three or four different dolls of of different vintage. Um, uh, dozens of dozens of books, um, figurine, small little figurines, um, which represent a particular team. Um, there were uh, a Pez dispenser, uh, spoons, forks, you name it. There's a baseball version of it, and probably someone collects it somewhere. That's interesting. In cricket, you don't really get signed balls. A traditional cricket ball is red, so signature yeah. might not stick out. But the bat, a cricket bat, is flat, so it's actually uh -huh. easy to be signed. Easy to sign. For the yeah, whole, whole 11 guys on the team to sign it and then give it off to a kid or a charity or a good cause or whatever they're doing it for. Yeah. Well, I, there, there, are people I, there are people who just who collect bats because they were used by the favorite player or team or a famous player. Then there's people who collect autograph bats, too, also a... Also a Anything you can write on has probably been autographed by a famous player and and is is being sold or or displayed somewhere. Um, that includes, in some cases, people's bodies. <laughs> right. Um, so it sounds like you've been doing this for a long time. Is there a book, a baseball book, you've always wanted to uh, find, handle, see, maybe even sell that you've never found? <sighs> you know. This is going to sound kind of snotty and arrogant, but the, the answer is really no. Um, there's, there's a couple of reasons for that. For the one thing is, is I have, in, in addition to actual books that I have, you know, bought and sold and handled, I have seen and had access to and visited um, some some of the most amazing, amazing collections that that you could that you could possibly imagine so books that I've never handled and never personally owned or sold um, I have had at least the chance to to physically touch and and see and the other reason is is because as, as we started talking about the the interest in and the value in 19th century material and it's just not it's not something that's ever personally interested in me, so it's never been something that I've personally sought out, except because I know, you know, I could, if I had a copy of book XYZ, I could sell it for so many thousands of dollars more than I paid for it. But as, in terms of a desire to, oh, I really want to see that book, I really want to have that book, there, I, there isn't one. I've I've at least once I've I've had the opportunity to see or touch pretty much anything I care about. So uh, uh, Babe Ruth instructional signed. Ten, was that a ten thousand dollar book? Uh, yeah, Babe Ruth. The value of the, the the value of anything Babe Ruth signed is in the autograph and not the not the oh. thing not the book. Right. Um, most Babe Ruth books are readily, you can get nice copies of most books by unsigned copies um, for less than 100 bucks. Um, actually, the scarcest Babe Ruth book is, he, he, he quote, unquote, wrote a novel called The Home Run King in 1920. 
it was uh, it was I think it was serialized in 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 magazines and then they put it together into to a hardcover book uh, and the book is impossible to find with a dust jacket. Copies without dust jackets are 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 not uncommon, but uh, finding a copy with a jacket is probably the most expensive unsigned based Ruth right. book. Right. Yeah, signed Ruth books, um, depending on condition and jacket sell for you know sell for multiple thousand dollars but thing is there's that how do i put this strong demand um but it, there's a lot of them he because he he signed an incredible number he 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 was incredibly popular so he and babe ruth signed an incredible number of autographs so uh, finding a signed babe ruth book finding finding one in nice condition that you can afford um if you're not wealthy, it can be difficult, but it's not because they're not out there. Right. And I guess I mean, with, with baseball players, they are in the public arena almost every other day. Yeah. Uh, they're accessible. Yeah, but the thing is, is you, no one ever slept. <laughs> um, it, baseball has this thing called spring training where the players go for a month, month before the season, usually in Florida or Arizona. And it, they're much more accessible there, especially until the last 10 years. It's, it's much easier to get close to the players and see them close up and actually, you know, even have conversations with them. And, and they're much more friendly. It's, it, it, they're not play, they haven't started the season yet, so they're not into the intensity of competition. So it was, it's been a long tradition for families to go to spring training, and that's a really good place to get autographs because you know the players they they have less time, they have more time on their hands, and they're friendly and stuff like that. But again, the person who's going to slap a box of thirty books down to Florida from New York is uh, a very rare rare breed indeed. I've I've known a couple of people like that, but they're few and far between. Much easier to take a bag of baseballs or baseball cards or something like that. Right. Okay. So today, in today's game, what is yeah. the, uh, the the modern books that come out? Is it still a vibrant genre? Uh, well, they they still publish a ton of baseball books um, every year, and uh, there there's two awards for the best baseball book of the year. One has been. Uh, called the Casey Awards, been p- given out by a magazine called Spitball Magazine since the mid 1980s, and then uh, there's an organization called the Society for American Baseball Research, uh, Saber, which also gives out an award for for best book. And uh, you know they 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 each seem to have 10 or 20 fine nominees each year, and the book that wins seems to be universally acclaimed as a as a as a as a fine book. So there is, they're, they're still publishing them. So for the, for, I would say again, the interest is not as strong as it's once been, but it's still is strong enough to justify uh, writing a book about about the team that wins the World Series this year, or the right. person who, or especially if they're from New York. Yeah, uh, yeah of course. Um, I read a very good um, John Feinstein book, uh, When Nobody Knows Your Name, about life in the minor leagues and the people yeah. who come down and they're trying to get out. Yeah. Uh, that, was a, that was a good read. Yeah, Feinstein's written a couple of, a, he, you know, he's, a, he's more famous for, ba- for his basketball writing, and he's kind of become a crotchety old man in his, in his uh, later years, but he's written a couple of really good baseball books. 
he, he wrote a book about, I think it's about the 1985 season called Play Ball, which is just, it's just a great example of, of contemporary journalism. It's just kind of a look at the game, game through the perspective of a season. It's, there's nothing earth-shaking about it. He's just a good writer and a good observer. Um, and uh, I haven't read the minor league book you, you talked about, but I imagine it's, I, c- I can see how it would be a good one. Yeah, he, he dwells on the uh, the guys who've made it and then come down for some reason. They're injured and they're trying to make it back for one season or the guys yeah. that made it for one game in the majors and have spent the rest of their life in the minors with the yeah. hope and you never know who ends up, who gets the call, right? It's um, There's a lot of inherent drama in, in, in baseball and in the lives of the people who who play it. And and, and as if you read that book, that's a, there, there's a... There's a lot of stories, and a good storyteller can. I think that's one of the reasons why why there's so many good baseball books because there's a lot of stories, and they attract people who can tell stories well. And um, you know, when you have a good storyteller telling a good story, you usually have a great book. I agree. It's still down to the stories, no matter what. Absolutely. Yeah. All right, then, Bobby. Uh, one last question, which we ask to all our guests. What book or uh, books are you currently reading? Well, this is kind of embarrassing because it's really difficult and has been for the last few years for me to actually read a book. I read lots and lots and lots of stuff, but an actual book, not so much. But I am currently reading a book called Satchel Pages America by a guy named William Price Fox, who is best known as a novelist, but... Um, this is the story of um, he hooked up with Satchel Paige, who was a very famous pitcher in the Negro Leagues, who also had something of a joint, joined the major leagues when he was close to 40 years old and pitched long enough and had a, had a, had a substantial career in the major leagues. And is something of a, of a folk hero, um, is known for lots of quotes and lots of pithy quotes and, and that kind of thing, in addition to being a great pitcher. And uh, this journalist, uh, Fox, track down Page mm, sometime in the last decade before of Page's life and uh, follows him around. And, and, and basically, you know, um, it, 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 it's, it's, again, it's a, it's a slice of life kind of, kind of book. And uh, it's, it's a fun read. That's, what I would, that's how I would characterize it. Excellent. Sounds good. All right. Uh, that's all, all we have time for this week. Um, many thanks, Bobby. I, I really appreciate you joining us. Oh, my pleasure. Um, that's Bobby, Bobby Plappinger, who sells books on Abe Books under the account name R. Plappinger Baseball Books. Thanks for listening. Uh, my name is Richard Davis, and you've been listening to an Abe Books podcast, and we'll see you all again soon. <laughs>